You're listening to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, episode 83. Hello and welcome to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life, but also the great views and experiences along the way. Do you drive in the fast lane like my wife, or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear? You only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! What's crack like in podcast world? Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 83. Cracking! No CC today for the 83, John. You didn't have it? That's right. We got the third man who's out today, but we got a sub in today with Chris Norton. Chris Norton, man. We're really excited to have Chris on. He's got a very um, inspirational and motivational story. I, I think he epitomizes what uh, the goal of the podcast is here, what we're trying to to get across so i think it's going to be a, a fun ride today he's also got a book he's got a documentary movie out there and just a neat story uh welcome aboard chris yeah thank you guys for having me fun to, to talk with you too yeah we're looking forward to the journey and um kind of as a little warm-up chris what we like to do uh with our guest and we we do it with ourselves and we're we don't have a guest on board is play a little uh game called would you rather and John is really kind of becoming the weekly segment for you, buddy. Yeah, Matt, y'all have been throwing that to me quite a bit. So I'll take it again today. Let's go. Okay, buddy. What you got? All right, guys. Uh, would you rather a hug or a kiss? We're going to start <laughs> off. We're going to let the hot dog man of Lake Charles, Matthew, take that today. Go ahead, Matt. Um, hmm. I feel like the kiss would have to be <laughs> <laughs> would have to be coming from a lady. Well, uh, yeah, it could come from a lady, yes. Yeah, I would, <laughs> would prefer that in my world. Um, but, you know, my, my first inkling is I, I don't mind a kiss from a lady, but I'm going to stay with the hugs so I can get it from everybody, especially when I think about a hug, I kind of think about our buddy CC. He gives some good hugs, man. And so I'm going to stick with the hug. CC, okay. in your honor, buddy. Okay, how about you, Chris? Yeah, I was saying the same thing. It depends on where this is coming from. There you go. <laughs> yeah. If it's from my, my wife, I, I'd love to kiss. But um, yeah, I'm going to, for the safe to, to cover everybody, um, guys and girls, I'll do a hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually have some uh, several clarifying questions after we throw it out there. So um, y'all could have asked that, but... Uh... Anyway, uh, yeah, you know, safe zone. I'm, I'm married too, so I'm going to be kissing my wife and that's it. Um, so I'm going to have to go with a hug, but, you know, Cece was one that came to mind. Uh, <laughs> he really does. He, he's a big hugger, uh, gives great hugs. So he's on vacation this week and wasn't able to join us, but uh, I thought it would be a good one to throw out. So everybody's hugging today, baby. No, I think that's good, and uh, we appreciate you hopping in on the little warm-up topic here chris and I, and I think that's a good prelude into the end of the cast and john um i think john did you how did you find out about chris well we were just uh looking for something to watch one evening and uh we saw that on netflix i believe um 
I just said the story. It was called uh, Seven Yards. Uh, so my wife and I started watching it. Um, and it was just a great, great documentary, great story, really highly motivational. So um, uh, it might have been that night after we finished watching the movie, I sent a request to Chris and said, hey, man, we got this podcast going on. This is what we're doing. Would you consider coming on? And sure enough, he said, yeah, I'll do it. Let's go. So that's how we found it. Yeah, man, really neat. And uh, we've been pretty fired up for this. Uh, it, it, like I said, Chris, we've had some pretty cool guests on, but I really think you are right in the wheelhouse of what we're trying to do here. And can you, uh, you've got a fascinating story and we really haven't delved into it because I thought it would be good for you to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, your story. Uh, so we'll flip it over to you on it, buddy. Yeah, just kind of the uh, high points of kind of my story. Just back when I was 18 years old, I, I suffered a spinal cord injury. And I was given a 3% chance to ever regain any movement or feeling below the neck. Uh, I was playing, you know, college football in just a freak accident. And it kind of, you know, really restarted my whole life. Uh, I had to live in a little different way. Like I'd lost the ability to, to feed myself initially to scratch an itch on my face. And I just kind of prayed and worked hard to get back as much as I could. I was eventually able to walk across the stage in my college graduation. And then I set the goal to walk seven yards down the aisle of our wedding, side by side with my, my wife now, Emily. And we now have uh, seven kids currently, six adopted children and one we're co-parenting. Uh, I do motivational speaking. Like you said, the, the book, the documentary, but just feel like I'm on a mission to use my life experiences, what I've gone through and had to overcome to empower others, give people hope um, in their own situation. Cause we all struggle. We all get hit, knocked down and feel like giving up. And I want people to know that, you know, it's worth it to keep fighting to, to hold on to that hope. And so I'm excited to talk with you guys. We can dive more into my story and really all the, the elements that brought me to this point to where I am today. Yeah, that's awesome, Chris. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, quick question, you know, in the opening of the documentary, the football team that you were on, they had a little prayer that they did. Was that something that y'all did prior to the games or was that theatrical? It was, it was, uh, it was something we did every game. That was uh, pretty neat. Was the, the prayer. Uh, and that was actually something too. Do you happen to remember that off the top of your head? <laughs> hey, look uh, at John Patton on the spot. Well, it, it's a very great, it's a very cool uh, little little prayer. And it uh, is. Start out it with, really so. is. Um, yeah, I, I feel like if I tried, I would <laughs> mess it up a little bit. That's okay. But, That's okay. But it's a really powerful moment that we would do before football games, and we would kill all the lights in the room. So it's pitch black. It's we call it the rock room. Um, it was just kind of this stone room no windows. So when you had all the lights off, complete black, and then uh, we would have this prayer and it would just really, it kind of, it's like a slow buildup and it really kind of gets you fired up and ready to, to take the field. Yeah, Chris, um, let's talk a little bit about delving into to what happened to you. And I think the reason I, I personally want to ask it is I played baseball through college and sports was a big part of my identity in life. Um, and I was in prior to this research, read a little bit about you. And I, and I noticed um, you talking a little bit about um, maybe a different plan for your life. Some, the, the identity of what you thought, you know, going to college, playing football, 
going to graduate, get a degree, get a, you know, a job in whatever the field would be. And then boom, all in. And I like to personally say it can all change in the snap of a finger. That's one second gone, one second closer to eternity. How do we want to live our seconds? And that truly is something, in my opinion, just watching it, um, that happened. Can you kind of take us through, um, the events that led up to this on the football field and then the, the, what was going through your mind, you know, laying there, I think I had seen somewhere where you were thinking, I hear about this happening to people, but I didn't think that this would be happening to me kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, leading up, you know, I did have these plans and aspirations and kind of this vision of how you think your life is going to go. And uh, I forget the, the, the first, but you know, man, um, can make these plans, but it's always in God's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's ultimately up to him. And um, also what uh, kind of transpires, I mean, we all have free will, but uh, I was thinking, yeah, I was going to be this All-American football player, meet the girl of my dreams, get a job, hopefully make enough money to own a lake house. That was a big <laughs> deal to me. And, uh, and then also, um, better yet, the girl of my dreams family already owns a lake house. So wow. that would have been a, a bonus. <laughs> Shoot high, man. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, it was a six game of the season. I had to work my way up the depth chart. I was a freshman. So you, you start out bottom of the totem pole. No one knows who you are. And just through football camp and as the weeks progressed, I was able to start playing more and more. I was playing more than any freshman on the, on the football team at that time. And I, I think the coaches, everybody kind of had high hopes for what uh, my potential could be. And you know, I was excited. I was loving football. I was loving life. I felt like I was living the dream, honestly. It was just making great friends, uh, loving school. It was challenging. The football team was great. It was just everything that I thought it would be, honestly. And so the last thing I wanted was anything to, to change that. And then it was the sixth game of the season. Um, running down the field to cover the kick uh, for the kickoff. And my job is to, to tackle the ball carrier. And I see the opening for me. My instincts are just telling me, like, that guy, he's going to run through that hole. You got to stop him. And so I hit him at full speed, full force. But I mistimed my tackle just by a split second. Instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, my head collided right with his legs. In an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. I can remember trying to push off the ground, but nothing was working. The pile clears. I can see out of the corner of my eye, everyone's ready to take the field. The defense is, is waiting on me to get up off the ground. But again, I, I can't move. It feels like someone just flipped the power off to my body. I'm completely conscious and aware of everything that's going on. My head wasn't rattled or ringing. It just was this direct hit to, or force to, to my neck somehow. And uh, I just was confused thinking it's a stinger, but I'll be okay. I'm, I'll regain my feeling and movement. Nothing bad has ever happened to me or people you know, really close to me. I'm just thinking it'll be fine. But it wasn't. It was a severe spinal cord injury, and my life was about to drastically change. 
Yeah, it was something that, uh, you know, I know in the documentary you talked about, you know, the fear just kind of started uh, growing up inside of you where, okay, I can't get up. Um, and then whenever they're wheeling you off of the field, you know, you wanted to try to give the, the crowd a signal to say, hey, look, I'm okay, thumbs up, uh, something like that. And then you weren't able to. What was that time frame like for you as far as going through that process, getting removed from the field and, and getting to the medical treatment that you needed? I can remember my athletic trainer, he ran over to me first. He was on the site like where I was at really quickly. I had a, one of my teammates was right next to me, like, hey, like, come on, man. Like, let's get going. Like, we got to go. Um, and he right away told him, you know, get back because uh, he knew something was off because I wasn't moving. Usually, you know, players injured, they might be rolling on the ground, grabbing, you know, a knee or ankle. And I was just completely motionless. Um, so he's asking me about my head, if I'm okay. And I'll tell him I'm fine. I just can't move. Uh, eventually I get some more you know, medical personnel there. They roll me to my back. And my first sign that this is not good is when I rolled over to my back and I made eye contact with a student athletic trainer. Now I could see in her face, she's terrified. But I try to just justify it in my mind. She's young. She doesn't really know all that's going on. She's maybe confused and doesn't you know, want to mess up, but it was telling me though, you know, she's scared for a reason also. But again, I'm trying to like be this guy, half glass, glass is always half full, not half empty. It's going to be fine. And then they start asking me questions like, Chris, can you make a fist with your hand? And I try to move my arm. I try to curl my fingers, do everything I can to make a fist, something that should be so easy. And I can't do it. They asked me, Chris, can you feel us touching your legs? I couldn't feel a thing. And I just kept asking these questions. I keep saying no. And this, this whole time, you know, that fear inside of me, is just slowly kind of ballooning up. It's, it's, it's getting worse. Then I hear uh, a paramedic radio in for a helicopter. That's when I knew, okay, this is bad. This is really bad. I don't know what's going on. And so I closed my eyes to try to block out everything that was happening around me because I just could not swallow this reality. Again, I, I was just thinking about my life and how everything was going so well. I was making friends. I was earning all this playing time on the football field. I just didn't want anything to change and to see my, my world crashing before me was too hard. So by closing my eyes and praying, kind of gave me a little bit of strength and a distraction away from what was happening. I know people kept asking me if I was okay because my eyes were closed and they're wondering if I, I passed out or I'm still conscious. And I was, I just did not want to see anything. Eventually they do get me on the stretcher. Also, you know, in this time, my family, they, they've come to my side as well, checking in on me. You know, they're, they're trying to say everything right and to be there for me, but you can even tell in their voice that they're scared. But when I started getting wheeled across the field, this was like 30 minutes after my initial injury, I would say, and I hear the crowd clapping, which is typical. And I do try, I lift that arm up to give a thumbs up, but I mean, nothing happens. I can't lift a thing. Now fear inside me explodes because I've been to a ton of sporting events. 
Now, I've never once witnessed a time when the athlete couldn't acknowledge the crowd in some way. But if I wish, I, I could have gone back to that moment to then the first athlete to ever give a thumbs down. <laughs> Not doing so good. <laughs> like, yikes, you can all quit clapping now. But uh, if you ever see somebody do that, the thumbs down idea, that was my idea. So let's, <laughs> let's give credit where credit's due. All right. <laughs> We'll definitely call them out if we see the thumbs down. Sure. I appreciate it. Uh, make sure to call people out. But, uh, eventually, you know, I'm then taken to the local hospital where they take my football gear off. They give me a steroid IV drip to start reducing the swelling in my neck and take an x-ray. They fly me out to Mayo Clinic, which is about like a 20 minute flight. Yeah, I know. And uh, once you got to the hospital, you know, like you said earlier, they didn't give you great odds as far as uh, getting back to moving or feeling any part of your body below your neck, uh, about a 3% chance. Um, and I noticed throughout the movie, um, you know, the faith journey of from you personally and your family was really strong. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And Chris, to hop in, that's that wasn't 3% that you wouldn't walk. It was any movement below the neck. Yeah, it's 3% chance to ever move, to ever feel, um, to do the most simple things, you know, with your hands, even it impacted my breathing. I could barely talk and breathe on my own at first. I, I spoke in a whisper and I could only speak probably about one word at a time because I just needed all the breath I could use, like my diaphragm, my lungs, and that's all muscle. And that's what your, your spinal cord uh, controls that. And given the severity of my injury, it impacted all of it. I was actually fortunate to not be on a breathing tube, but, um, you know, it was still a struggle and something I had to work on, but yeah, I, I lost so much. And that's where too, I was gripping with my identity of, you know, who am I when I'm no longer an athlete? I'm no longer that guy that was this feeling this big shot person in college and and it was you know devastating at first trying to figure out then what could i be or what what would my future look like and uh, and those are some of the questions i had to wrestle with every single night but it was my faith that really kind of gave me this light at the end of the tunnel because thankfully my parents dragged me to sunday school to church when i with times want to sleep in, they said, no, you're, you're going to church. And I appreciate all those moments because um, I, I learned about God and I learned about what it says in the Bible. And, and while I wasn't living um, out my faith and the way that uh, I am now, at least I, I learned enough to um, believe in it and have hope in him that, you know, he's got plans to prosper me, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, not to to harm you and uh, plans for a future, but I had a question that there's plenty of times where I question that. How do you have plans to prosper me and give me a hope and a future? Like, do you see where I'm at right now? I'm, I'm in the hospital, motionless from the neck down. You just took me away from everything that I loved and I enjoy doing. Like, how can I ever enjoy life or contribute to life? Get married, have a family, like. I, these are all the things I was wrestling with and questioning with and um, asking God, like, 
do you sure you got this? Like, you're not supposed to make mistakes and you can, you know, turn, you know, the broken pieces into something good, but you got your hands full. Like, I don't, I'm lost right now on what you're going to do, but it says you can do it, right? Like it says it's possible with you. And that's what I'm going to believe. And that's what I did. I, I believed in that. Although I had those moments of scratching my head, wondering what in the world is going on, but I just kept picking that faith over fear. And that was a decision that I didn't, it wasn't just a one-time decision. It was a decision I had to make every single night, every single day, sometimes multiple times in a day when I just wanted to give up and throw in the towel. But I just kept holding on to that hope and that faith really carried me through when I felt like giving up. Yeah, absolutely, man. It, it really is truly inspiring. Um, the, the mental outlook, the faith outlook you had, when, when did you, um, you know, turn the corner toward, toward maybe trying to start like setting some goals for yourself, which is in actuality, what, what does happen to, walking across the, the stage, so to speak, for the graduation, things like that. When did you get to a place of forward looking, you know, um, taking the acceptance of everything that had happened to you in your life? And then you got the chance with free will to figure out, you know, what you were going to do with that um, uh, situation that was presented to you in your life. Yeah, I mean, I'd say right away when I got told that 3% odds and I was bound and determined, you know what, I'm not going to be part of that 97% who don't recover from this, I'll do whatever it takes to be a member of that 3%. I'm going to get my life back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk, I'm going to fight for everything. And so that first thing I did was to nod my head yes and no, which was the only thing I could do at the, at the time. And I would nod my head for hours. I looked like a giant bobblehead, just <laughs> bouncing my head all around. And then eventually I was shrugging my left shoulder I would shrug my left shoulder for hours. Uh, I just had this sense of responsibility for my future and for my recovery. It's like, okay, um, I'm going to believe in God, but then, yeah, I got to do the work. Like it's, it's up to me and my responsibility that I follow through with, you know, his plans. And uh, so I just kept focusing on what can I do today to get a little bit better. And I really had to focus in on today. In one day at a time, because anytime I thought about the future, uh, I got too far ahead of myself. And I, you know, all I'm doing is shrugging my shoulder and I want to walk. It, it's discouraging. Like, wow, I have a long ways to go. I can't move anything in my legs. I can barely move anything in my arms and I want to walk. And it would make you feel like you want to give up. Or you thought about in the past of where you were as the prime of your, your life as an athlete. That was discouraging too. So being really present was something that I really had to work hard at every single day. Of Okay, for this therapy session, for this next two hours, I'm going to give it everything I've got. I'm going to try to make a little bit of pro progress in this moment. And each day, if I can just keep progressing, uh, understanding that your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. And so I just kept focusing on um, maximizing every opportunity I had and not wasting anything. I didn't want to uh, get a few years out and think, man, I had all those wasted opportunities of just complaining and feeling sorry for myself when I could have been getting better. Now, I didn't want to feel that way. So I knew 
every waking moment uh, was to go towards my recovery. And so that's where I, I just kept trying to progress. Eventually, you know, six weeks in, I was able to wiggle my left big toe, which was a huge uh, breakthrough uh, to move something in your legs. And eventually it grew to my quads and hamstrings, started to curl my arms to my shoulders, drive my power wheelchair, feed myself. But more importantly, through all this, it wasn't just the physical recovery, but the mental recovery. I was just feeling happier and empowered and feeling back to my old self. Uh, because as I progressed physically, I also realized mentally, you know, I don't need to walk in order to live a good life and to be happy. There are people who can run, jump, and swim who are unhappy. So clearly happiness has nothing to do with your physical abilities and everything to do with your mindset, your perspective. And I just uh, refuse to allow what I can't do paralyze me more from what I can do. And so that was just something I, I took um, to heart was to focus on my abilities, focus on what I can do and just feel empowered and motivated through that versus having the like a binoculars for negativity and what I can't and what I don't have uh, because it just uh, it discourages you. But as I kept progressing, I eventually, you know, make it to back to college, thankfully, through a big push of encouragement from family and uh, friends. My sister, Alex, she relocated to an apartment off campus to help with the transition. She was there to help with like driving to doctor therapy appointments. She would get me to class and up in the morning or into bed. Uh, she just got her bachelor's in nursing. So she put her life on hold to, to help me. And then coupled with her, my college football buddies also rose to the occasion and they were there to do all those same tasks and some, they would even sleep with me at night to uh, be there to help adjust my arms or legs, blankets, if I'd have a body spasm. So those guys were extremely special. And it was then in college that, yeah, I set the goal. I want to walk across stage of my college graduation and that was going to be something that I would just focus in on one day at a time. Yeah. That was something really neat that, uh, that jumped out at me was the camaraderie. Uh, you know, both of us have played on sporting teams, other things like that. Uh, you know, the brotherhood that you get whenever you're involved in something like that. Um, and certainly you had a great group of guys that stepped in and helped you out certainly went above and beyond, uh, in order to help you recover, uh, help you get through your day-to-day -day stuff and continue college. So I thought that was a really neat uh, aspect of your story. And, and also somewhere along the way here, um, your wife comes into the picture and she's been a pretty, and, and I think all this ties into, and I was going to talk to you about having support systems um, in life. It's, support, it's important for all of us to have them. Uh, like you said, we all get knocked down and have our own various crosses to bear. Uh, it seems like they have obviously pay, played a pretty integral role. Can you also talk about uh, meeting your wife and the role that she is playing uh, in this process as well? Yeah, I met Emily three years after my injury. So it was about my junior year in college. We met online, uh, we just connected instantly. She was very curious about my injury. It didn't scare her away. It actually, I feel like it brought her in more 
um, due to her, just her curiosity. And then we met in person and it didn't phase her, the, the, the physical challenges. Uh, and I can also remember seeing her for the first time walking across the street. I've seen the photos of her, but seeing her in person, I, my jaw just dropped. I had to pick it back up. It's <laughs> like I've been there before. Like, okay, she is way out of your league. You wake out kicked your coverage, but don't show it, you know, act like you belong. Right. Um, so I just try to keep myself together. She is a great conversationalist. She's a huge heart, lots of passion. And she was just a very passionate person for, for kids and, and the foster care system. Um, any, anybody who, who's gone through any kind of trauma or um, neglect or abuse, she just uh, wants to be there for them. And so I really uh, was attractive to her just heart and her love for others. She quickly became, you know, my sidekick and she took on my goal and dream to walk across the stage as her own. She really wanted to see me do this. She also saw it as a huge opportunity to inspire others, to give other people hope um, who are discouraged or, or feeling lost and um, are afraid to go after their goals and dreams. So she really just pushed me. She became one of my toughest trainers. I'm not even exaggerating. She was always <laughs> pushing me to take one more step, do one more walk. Uh, she was just really special in that way to get the most out of me. Uh, but not just with my recovery, though. She also got the most out of me as a man and uh, just as a person of just how to live selflessly and give yourself to others and um, just like a really servant um, mentality of just how can you serve others just like she just did and, uh, so I really uh, also appreciate her for that and she had such strong morals and values that it, it rubs off and when you're around her um, it, it passes on to other people but so she really uh, was a huge support system of mine and really made it so that come graduation day I was ready to walk across that stage to make that weekend even more special, I decided that I was going to propose to her the day before, oh, wow. which I was way more nervous for the proposal than the walk <laughs> in front of thousands of people. I couldn't even eat that day. Um, <laughs> uh, before the proposal, she was saying like, Chris, you got to eat. Like we have a big day tomorrow. You got to get all the food and energy you can. Now I'm in my head, I'm like, you have no idea what's going on. But uh, it was a great surprise. Thankfully, she said yes. Otherwise, the next day would have been really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked out. And uh, that graduation day was uh, super special. It was something that, you know, I've been training four and a half years for. Uh, over 4,500 hours of therapy went into that uh, just to go four yards. And there was plenty of times in that four and a half years, too, where I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, why am I working so hard for the short walk? Like, will it mean anything? And hopefully it, it does. And it, it's meaning something, it'll mean something to somebody else who needs encouragement. And I had no idea that once I got on that stage and the energy and the enthusiasm for this, this walk and how emotional it'd be, uh, that video would go viral. <laughs> 
and you know 300 million people alone on Facebook watched that video, which was unbelievable. And it just really kind of brought home and solidified, you know, what I was going through all that pain was for a purpose and all that time spent on a short walk and Emily coming into the picture, like everything was really um, used in such a beautiful way to help others. And that's really um, what my, my life is all about is try to, to serve and to help others and inspire them. And this walk then inspired the next walk, which was to walk seven yards. Yeah. You know, that was something that, um, you know, watching the story, um, you know, when you were in the hospital, the carrying bridge, you know, people saying, uh, motivational things for you. Uh, that was something that was helpful for you. And then, uh, turn around, um, your graduation walk seemed to do the opposite and, uh, you know, inspire other people, uh, in a new way. That was something highly motivational, uh, inspiring for all the people who, you know, you've been putting all that work in and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it's a two way street. You know, I think there's always an opportunity for pessimism. Uh, there's always opportunity to say, I can't do it. I want to give up. Um, but you know, you took the, the tragedy of, you know, losing that function and turned it into a, a shining bright light of hope for millions of people out there. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and it, it is a two-way street um, because all the, uh, those inspirational, motivational messages that I was receiving early on, when people were saying, Chris, you're, you're an inspiration. At first I was like, what? I'm not an inspiration. I'm just, I'm just trying to get my life back. Like, I'm just trying to get recovered and move more. Like, something that anyone in my position would do, but you couldn't help but feel for these stories and these messages that would come through because people are saying, hey, like, because of your attitude in this time of tragedy, it's inspired me to, you know, work hard to, you know, go get another job, to um, support my family, to fight my cancer, to fight my disability or depression, all these messages that inspire me of, okay, they're counting on me to keep going. Like I have to keep going and keep giving them something to feel inspired by and motivated by. And so that kind of added fuel to, to my fire as well, knowing that there's people counting on my example on how I, I carry myself in these times of difficulties. And I, and I still feel that. And I feel, I, I have a sense of pride and responsibility, knowing that there are people watching and counting on me, looking to my example and how I handle its situations, which, um, you know, we all have that power though, you know, each and every one of us within our circles with your, your, your spouse, your kids, your friends, uh, community members that you name it, we all have this power to give off an example that will inspire others to, to see the best in themselves. Absolutely. I think that's really neat. And I think that uh, I've read or watched somewhere where you talked about adding value to people's lives. And I think that that's really cool. It's something that we can we can all do. And I think that this is something, too, on a, on a greater level, you and your wife have um, have been doing. Can you take us through the process of it, it seemed like it seems like your wife had a little background and love for the foster um, kids in, in that situation into all the way into adopting 
several of the children. Can you take us through a little bit of that uh, part of the journey, which I think is pretty neat. Y'all, y'all really coming together on that front. Yeah, we uh, got into fostering pretty early. Um, I knew that was something that would be uh, something that we would do eventually. That was something uh, very special to Emily and important to her. Uh, she really introduced yeah, the foster care system to me. But then we got thrown into it quickly. Uh, a girl that <laughs> Emily was uh, mentoring for a while growing up was put in a situation where she needed a, a home and nobody was offering a home. Uh, she has been through 17 different placements. She's never found stability and love in her life. And we knew, uh, she asked us to, to be foster parents for her. And we knew that we had a chance to give her that love and stability that she deserved and to know that she does belong and she is special and she is worth it, that she's worth you know fighting for. And so we did open our, our home and we became her 18th placement. She was 17 years old at the time. And we were only six and seven years older than her. Um, but, you know, despite, you know, we did have, you know, our challenges, but we had also plenty of, of great moments and, and fun times. Uh, she's a, a really incredible girl. She was able to accomplish her goal of graduating high school on time, which was amazing. And then we continued to open our home. At first, it started out as like one small child. And of course, I was like, we can do two. I'm saying, no way, there's, we can't do two. And then, of course, we get two. Uh, she's very persuasive and then it just kept growing and growing but you know as we kept expanding uh, i also kept realizing too i'm like okay we are capable of more and oftentimes you you don't realize your potential until you take on more than what you think you can handle and that's just something that we just kept taking on more and more and we were able to adapt to it and eventually we had five kids in our care uh, we got a sibling group of four girls uh, which was amazing and then a year year and a half later we adopted Whitley the the first child that was 17 years old and then the sibling group of four girls we adopted within our first year of marriage wow. and then after that just this last week we adopted our sixth uh, Keandre a little boy uh, he, he's two years old, about to turn three. So we're really excited about him as an addition. And I have a boy in the house now. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's not all girls. Even our dog is a female. So <laughs> Outnumbered over there. <laughs> I'm very outnumbered. Um, but yeah, not, not to say, I, I just realized too, um, uh, they mentioned the, the seven yard walk though, which is kind of the center of the, the documentary. Uh, people have to, to check it out to watch how that the seven yards goes as you can probably imagine how it goes given it's a documentary now on Netflix. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but yeah, we were fostering and we were parenting even before, you know, we were married, which was something that, you know, wasn't on our to-do list, but um, we just kind of felt called into action early and, um, accepted that that calling and listened to it and thankfully we did because uh some of those kids that came into our care are forever our kids yeah man that's that's truly incredible really neat 
Yeah, you know, one of the other things that uh, stuck out for me was, uh, you know, you said that the injury showed you a reason, uh, a reason worth living for. It was something that you were going one direction and thought your life was going to be one way. And then after going through this process and going through all of your recovery, your rehab, that this showed you a, a new purpose, a new reason to live for. You want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I think before, um, you know, I was living a life of thinking of like, okay, what can Chris get? You know, what can I do to get, you know, maybe more accomplishments or accolades or uh, I was kind of thinking selfishly. And then after my injury, it really opened my eyes to the power of just, you know, family and friends and uh, just giving to others and just how meaningful that can be. I started a, the Chris Norton foundation when I was in college, uh, which also added so much meaning and purpose to my life. I um, started the motivational speaking and traveled the country doing that and did a couple of books and all these things really kind of filled in a, a spot in my heart that I think was empty those first 18 years of life, just because I was living more selfishly. And when I realized that I started living and doing these things for others and to, you know, add value to others. I felt like my life, um, it, it just gave it great purpose and, and reason. And with the injury, it helped amplify, you know, that, that platform of overcoming adversity because everyone can see that I'm going through something. That's what's really easy about my part is to inspire others. Everyone can just, I don't have to say a word and people see my physical challenges. They know that I'm going through something that, you know, no one wants to go through. Not, no one would wish that upon, you know, their worst enemy. And so I have a, just an opportunity then to speak on it and to share my life experiences and how, you know, life is not over just because you lose your physical movement. Like I said earlier, you know, happiness is not measured in steps or physical strength or wealth. You know, it's not about that. Um, so yeah, the, the injury really gave me just a kind of a new perspective on life that um, I feel very fortunate to be able to speak on now and to share that with others and help them. Man, that's awesome. Um, and Chris, we've really appreciated uh, the sharing and opening up with us today on the cast. It's been been really a neat journey. What um, we're kind of toggling through the, to the end of our time here, and we'd like to ask um, all of our guests uh, the proverbial question for who or what is driving their car, what drives your life, so to speak, uh, that can change at different times. It'd be God, free will, uh, your injury, the pandemic. We've heard sense of urgency, a lot of different things. No right or wrong answer, but what comes to mind um, when we ask that question to you, man? God, um, just trying to, you know, live a life that um, would, would make them, make him happy, please. Uh, trying to live my life for others, just like Jesus did. Uh, so I would say they're definitely, that's driving my vehicle and trying to live that life uh, and be like him every day. Outstanding, Chris. Uh, so if people wanted to find out more information about you, uh, where would they go to find your book, your documentary, uh, look into getting you for speaking purposes? Uh, where would they find your information? ChrisNorton.org is the website um, where you can find all that information. And then I'm uh, on Instagram as well, 
Facebook, um, just now getting into TikTok. That's been pretty fun. Uh, uh, but yeah, just, uh, I'd like to try to stay active on social media as well, but my website and I got an email newsletter too, where I'm sharing updates and inspirational messages as I continue to live and grow. Uh, but yeah, those would be the best spots for people to connect with me at. Awesome. Sounds great. And again, Chris, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I knew it was something that as soon as I saw, the film seven yards that uh, you would be a great fit for us. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, Chris, we greatly appreciate it, man. Uh, some good memories. And, and I know our listeners, guys out there listening, uh, can take a lot away from it. And um, it, it meant a lot to me that you came on. I'm, I'm really into such, such happening. So we appreciate you sharing the story with us, man. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been fun. All right, guys, until next time, we'll catch y'all later. Aye. Hey, y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing, sun is shining, nothing more I Sing with me